Okay, it's your boys, Roshan Gomez, Jeremy Lim in the house. And today joining us at Rumah Roy is the one, the only, uh, the intelligent, uh, the talented, the beautiful. You got to get every guest to blush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Sam, even Aaron came on last week, we called him beautiful. So oh, <laughs> it's okay. not much of a compliment. <laughs> I mean, Aaron is a beautiful, so it is a good compliment. It is a good compliment. You have to keep going. So yeah, welcome. Okay, thanks. <laughs> How are you feeling? Uh... Excited, I think. <laughs> good, good, I good. hope it stays that way. Okay. <laughs> so, I know the both of you very well. Um, I mean, me and Jeremy friends from high school. Uh, I've known you from church for a long time now. We met when you were... I was 14. I was 16 when we met. And then by uh, circumstance, the two of you have kind of become friends. Acquainted friends. Uh, yeah, acquaintances. Lah. Let's, just, let's just start Comrades. with it. Let's not, see, <laughs> let's not presume too much, you know. <laughs> yeah, let's go there. So, uh, both of y'all work together uh, in the NGO called Imagine, right? Imagine Malaysia, yeah. So, yeah, what, what do y'all do there? Uh, so, basically, Imagine Malaysia is sort of focused on uh, alternative, alternative narratives of history. Um, mostly Malaysian, but we also try to look at Southeast Asian history because so far, like, history especially in Malaysia, is dominated by Sajara textbooks. And then after, you know, people leave, leave school, sort of everything, they forget. Either they forget things or, you know, it's just not a matter of curiosity or interest anymore. So wait, are, are you guys trying to encourage uh, the resurgence of history in Malaysia or the importance of history in Malaysia? Or are you specifically focusing on a different narrative when it comes to history? I think the start of it was a bit of the fact that the founders themselves were plugged into the academic world. Mm. And there were a lot of academic discourses that trended in this kind of like, not necessarily revisionist, it has a negative connotation sometimes, mm. but like alternative sides you don't see, you know, like mm. you don't see history to the, through the perspective of the rebels, the poor, mm. women, orang asli. So that is what they tried to champion. At one point, I met up with with uh, Sam and she told me that Jeremy had become the leader. <laughs> that was... Uh, <laughs> that was <laughs> and uh, if you know Jeremy, Jeremy is a, a big fan of the Russian Revolution. Oh and I could see the coup that he, he had initiated. The, I could see the rise of Stalinism. <laughs> Everybody was forewarned. <laughs> Everybody knew about my interest in Stalin. So they like, oh, he's about to, you know, he's about to launch a coup. He's about to launch a coup. Like, okay. yeah, so eventually the nickname <laughs> became oh, that. So in that way, I'll what, never what get was to launch the nickname? Like, that well, he would like, be the Stalin of <laughs> So you mean even people in Imagine was saying that? Yeah, because I carried around like this 700 page book when I went out. When I was reading it. <laughs> So that stuck, I guess. And the irony, uh, the irony is that you don't even like Stalin, right? No, but he is a fascinating figure. Uh -huh. I don't know. Uh, let's. Well, we won't get too far into this. You, this but you are a bigger fan of Trotsky, right? No, Trotsky is a bit flawed. But okay, this is going to be a 20-minute discussion. Okay, let's not, yeah, no, let's, let's not. Let's not get into it. We'll have an episode about Russian Revolution. Yeah, <laughs> we can. We can. Okay, but uh, Sam, we wanted to have you on because uh, both of us have been really interested in discourse uh, especially, I guess, in the media, uh, in the online sphere. And your background is basically journalism, right? So we wanted to get your... We thought it'd be interesting to get your input. So um, how... What, what's your background? How did you get into this? Maybe you can just let everyone know. Okay. So I've been a journalist uh, ever since I graduated. And what did you study? 
economics. Uh, where? In Help University. Help University, uh, please sponsor this podcast. <laughs> we, are, we are endorsing so, your college. No, I, I, I actually are you? don't. Uh, I, I have no affiliation with the actual Come like on, Help Sam University. <laughs> no, 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 no. You produce such a talented <laughs> <laughs> alumni, Help University. Yeah. You are the best university in Malaysia. You're not going to sponsor okay, you my, my department was actually the University of London department. Ah, uh, I see. So, you did the yeah, external. Yeah, so I did the external okay. program. Um, and it's a great, I mean, the lecturers were great and everything, but yeah. they're not help university. Like yeah, just, but they're kind of anyway. So Yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, but basically, I uh, sort of did economics after I did my A-levels uh, in what was supposed to lead me to law. Mm. And then I found it a bit too dry. Yeah. <laughs> Preach to the choir. <laughs> I got you, sis. <laughs> okay. I'm with you. Yeah. So, so I did economics instead. And I think like my interest in writing and journalism came from like a very young age mm. when I realized like, I enjoy reading. I enjoyed writing and creating stories. So I thought I would find a career or a job that would pay me to write. Mm. And little did I know that journalism pays <laughs> well not as much as I thought it would, but it was <laughs> it is it was and it still is very fun. Um yeah. yeah. So I got an internship with the Edge when I was doing my degree. And then uh they called me back. Um oh, so during my internship the whole one MDB saga happened and the yeah. edge got sus- the financial daily got suspended yeah. um, and then a few years later they called me back um, and asked me if I wanted to join full time yeah so that's what happened um, I've been reading your writing since uh, you were 14 and uh, you know sometimes I guess for me I realize how some people are really called to a particular thing mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I figured I really saw that in Sam because Sam has always been a brilliant writer. Like, really, her writing is damn good. Even when she was, like, 14, doing her blog, uh, writing about the most randomest stuff. But the writing was so good. Mm. Um, and I used to genuinely enjoy reading your blog even when I was in teen. I don't read it regularly. But when you post stuff, I will still hop on and I'll, I'll read something. Even now, you're still uh, uh, using… I mean, you're still blogging. Uh, the blog hasn't been updated in about half a year. <laughs> but but it's really But you've funny. been doing it since you were like Yeah. And it's really strange because like now like most recently I had an interview. So I mean we didn't go into this yet, but I because I lost my job yeah. recently and like one you of You were my, at the edge and then you went to Al Jazeera. Yeah. And then, you know because uh, uh, of cost cutting and COVID yeah. and everything, uh, yeah. they laid me off. Um but one of the interviewers I met after I mean, recently was like, oh, we read your blog. <laughs> and we found we found this old post about like Michelin stars and food. It's not even related to the job, but the guy was like, oh yeah, I like this post. <laughs> so yeah, I guess it had its benefits. That's the thing. It I think because your benefits. call to writing, e- even if you were to write about anything, it would still kind of be good. Uh, well, that's my opinion. I, I, you don't I, have to, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, the surprising thing is, you're someone who's also really creative. I mean, that made sense in the context of your writing. You even play music. You've always been a very creative person. So there is a disconnect for me when I see you posting about economics, <laughs> like writing about economics, doing your like financial graphs and uh, diagrams. <laughs> and I'm like, how can it almost feels or seems like you live in two worlds. You know, you live in like, you report and write about th- these things that I, I, do you think they're creative I think creative uh, pursuits talk about so the regular person finances. is quite dry, lah, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. It's just I like I think it's a when when you interest. write about 
your, when you write in your blog, for example, about your experiences, mm-hmm. and when you write about things like the market going up <laughs> and down, do you feel that same thrill? <laughs> yeah. No. If she was invested yeah. in the stock market, think, maybe. Yeah, no, I think like, yeah, if you if you ask my bosses, they would like to think I write with the same thrill, but uh, no, market reports are very dry. And, and really every day, it's the same thing where, okay, the stocks went up by this many percent. And then like, these were like the top movers or, or things like that. But I think that's like the difference between uh, hard news and just reporting and then like having or writing something with a bit more flair and mm. creativity. One of the things like uh, someone who read my writing mentioned was that they noticed a difference in my reporting from The Edge where everything was just like, okay, you have to get this out in 10 minutes, in 20 minutes, you know, <laughs> just get like one line from the analyst, just get like, you know, the, the top stocks of the day and just like put it there in like a structured format that I already had. Uh, whereas with Al Jazeera, it was a lot more like, okay, we want readers to be engaged in the story. Mm. You know, it's not just information. We have to create a narrative. So it's, yeah, I think I enjoyed that part of it as well. And then it's also like just sort of figuring out how things like stock movements are going to change companies or change lives and things like that. And I think that's why I find it interesting. So in The Edge, you were talking about um, stocks going up and down. (laughs) In Al Jazeera, you're talking about how those stocks going up and down would affect the wider population? Uh, not so much. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, I was still in, in Al Jazeera, I was still talking about stocks going up and down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, not, and not so much the effect of it, but uh, just sort of trying to understand or analyze what's going on. I see. Yeah, because if you're writing, I think for like a more like business publication like The Edge, people who are reading it every day already know what to expect, yeah. sort of. And and they just want the facts so that they can make their own analysis. Whereas with Al Jazeera, because it's a more general population, they're like, oh, okay, stock, stocks went up like to a record high. Why? We like, we don't understand. Yeah. Or like they want, they want a bit, they want somebody to like sort of interpret it for mm. them, I guess. I think it'd be sad to kind of be writing about stocks now because it's only <laughs> going to be Top Glove. Everyone's just going to be writing about Top Glove from Malaysia. I mean, saw so the GLCs were doing pretty okay. Were they? Yeah, I think so. Because as soon as the government announced those stimulus, I think they were the only one getting like huge, oh. huge kind of supports. Yeah, I haven't checked the latest share price of banks, but like, yeah, <laughs> banks. Top Glove is raking. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, I, I went for a meeting with Top Glove once. You know, before they start their meetings, they have chants. <laughs> Like, wow, okay. like they have, they have. Do you know about it? Yeah, I've, <laughs> they, because I've covered them quite a few times. They, I mean, they do this for all their meetings. Even if you are like an outside external company, or for example, lawyers going into the for a first meeting, they will put up that diagram, and it'll be like a chant, like you know, top glove is good, top glove is good, and then they have like thumb, uh, like thumbs up signs or like good, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> You do it before and you do it like after the meeting is. This is like a Japanese thing where they force everybody to exercise to you know oh, ensure they compliance. Have they have that yeah. too. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. I think. But I think. Uh, one because it's a glove makers. That's why they always have to do the thumbs up sign so that <laughs> you can see their gloves, right? <laughs> but but they're not the only like public listed company. Uh, there are like companies in other sectors where I think it's just sort of like a, they want to show like you know that corporate spirit yeah. or everyone's like a family in the company so they have like chance and things. I think there was a bit of this because of Mahathir's like look east policy yeah. there was Japan and like I think companies started to pick up some like the management styles that had some of this like pretty weird crowd like yeah. crowd effect Mahathir has kind of jumped from his Japanese uh, 
infatuation <laughs> <laughs> to like now Korean. He talks a lot about Korean. Does he? Now, yeah. Okay. But um, the funny thing about Top Glove is even before this whole thing happened, they already had big plans of becoming like a, like a global 500 or they were planning to... They I think at that time, they already conquered like 70% of the market in terms of uh, glove manufacturing or something. I think like that, that might have been Malaysia. Uh, no. no, they they have been them? the world's biggest world. glove manufacturer. Wow, for okay. The world. So that was yeah. pre-pandemic. I felt like there were more than one glove. There was more than one glove company in the, in the country. No, no, yeah, there yeah, are. there are. Yeah. There, I mean, but but one company has seventy. In, in yes. <laughs> okay. Come on, Jeremy. <laughs> this yes. all Malaysia has this. Don't, <laughs> this is the only like monopoly we have over the world. Yeah. Don't try and break it, right? Let's go after Amazon first before we go top glove. Okay, sure. <laughs> well, let them have this one. <laughs> you were talking about you know the edge uh, getting uh, uh, ransacked. Were you in the office when it happened? Uh, it wasn't ransacked. It was just that the paper was suspended. And the thing is, I think I thought bosses- people had come in and like they were. No. Going through stuff, no. Oh, at least not while yeah, I was So it was there. just a suspension, lah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what what had happened was that uh, I think the bosses were already expecting it. Mm. The cover of the Financial Daily one day before the suspension was like, "We know this could lose us our license, but we have to publish it anyway." Uh, and the next day when it happened, I think uh, so everyone just was sitting in the office, and when we got the news, you know, some people uh, people stopped working. Some people were crying. Mm. I had a few colleagues who were like, okay, it's time to like open the whiskey bottles. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Have a few shots. Basically, for the rest of the day, like everyone couldn't, uh, wasn't in the mood to work. And then the CEO came in um, and he was like, okay, we're going to, I mean, he had a big announcement and everything. Um, and then he was saying that, okay, nobody's going to lose their jobs. Um, you're all still going to get paid, but it's probably going to be a rough few months. Uh, and we're going to try and put things digitally. Like we're still going to try and like publish our digital copies. Um, but yeah, and, and I was lucky. At the time, I was an intern and I was the only intern, I think. But I also found out that I would not lose my internship. So, yeah. Do you remember what they posted about exactly? Was it a 1MDB thing? Uh, yeah. So, I think it was uh, more details sort of on Jolo uh, mm. and and sort of the transactions, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I probably still have a copy of the paper somewhere, but I can't remember exactly what the... That's crazy. Mm. And, and the fact that... Um, Everybody knows now that it was a legit thing and that happened to the edge. I've never heard any of them apologize to. I've never <laughs> They're not like going to. I don't DSN know. DSN apologize. Um, so one of the big heroes, like I guess before Pakatan took over gov- gov- the government was uh, the edge and also BFM. It seemed like these two were the only two that were really pushing the envelope in terms of independent reporting. Um, I remember right after Pakatan... Uh, took over then suddenly all the radio stations became political mm, yeah. I felt like you know like come on like <laughs> BFM had been doing it for so many years you know and always with that that risk of losing their license but they still had pushed through I think Awani was one of the one of the ones where people saw like a shift like I think they did they were they tried to be neutral really hard yeah. up to the moment they won <laughs> yeah. but there's a difference between being neutral and at the same time challenging yeah, yeah. And BFM really did challenge. Like BFM, some of their breakfast grills back in the day was intense. Like I remember one very vividly where they were talking to some, I wish I remembered who they were talking to, but they were talking to some minister or some CEO and they act, the dude was like, Pissed how off? do you respond? I, it must have been Julian Ng or someone said, how do you respond to people who say that you have ties to Patla? 
<laughs> on BFM, legit. <laughs> I was like, damn, son, that's crazy. So I've always had a lot of respect for their for for that, and especially looking back, and uh, there always has has been a negative perception about media independence in Malaysia. Mm. You mean talking about the Star, the Straight Times, not not to their, not because they were corrupt or anything, but their license was dependent on the state, right? Not so, just that their their board was filled with you know people from certain political parties. Yeah, and you can if if you have anecdotal evidence. Some people have, you know, reported that. I mean, some people have said mentioned that their stories got shut down because of a decision on high. Yeah. You know, no one knows who exactly, but that kind of sto- that kind of anecdotes do come out. No? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So Sam, being a, a journalist, working with other journalists, do you think Malaysian? I know this is a big question, but do you think Malaysian media is free? And there's two kinds of freedom, right? There's freedom from state interference. And there's freedom from your own internal biases. So what do you think? Yeah, I think that when it comes to those two freedoms, the freedom from internal biases, uh, we probably come up a bit short. And that's even like, for me, for someone working with The Edge, um, I think a lot of the times, it like the questions that journalists ask uh, when they go out to press conferences or even when they write their stories and they think like, okay, this is something that I need some kind of information that I need to put in or question that needs to be answered. Um, it really depends on sort of the conversations that they have with either like their um, employers, their editors or those uh, or other journalists. And sometimes those sort of like conversations and questions just don't come up in those... Uh, so those questions just don't come up uh, in conversations mm. or like sort of that... that need to be critical, I think. So you think... You, wait. Um, and, and sort of like, uh, there is a lack of... That lack of critical thinking actually reinforces biases or self-censorship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're saying that like-minded people are working in in these different vacuums and so the content that's being produced is just like-minded content. Is that what you're saying? Uh, not so much like-minded content, but content that doesn't that isn't critical and doesn't question mm-hmm. um, what's happening. Because a lot of the times, it's just like, okay, what did the minister say? Uh, people just take the press release, you know, copy and paste. Mm. Um, and then that that's a story. And the mm. editors don't question it. And there's no like drive to like... Find out for yeah. the... Um, I guess maybe you, maybe, you can, maybe you can add on to this, but I guess it's a bit like the whenever they have like the COVID-19 briefings, if you ever watch it in full, journalists only ask ever ask clarification questions they don't necessarily, I think, go one level deeper. Am I, yeah. am I getting that right? And, and, but I think the problem there also is because when uh, I was already with Al Jazeera when COVID-19 happened um, and a lot of journalists who weren't, you know, I mean, even like scientists didn't know, really know what was going on. So journalists like knew even less. So they didn't know what kind of questions to ask mm. or like, um, you know, how we're supposed to assess the data. Are we supposed to listen to like these doctors? Which doctor are we supposed to listen to or accept advice from? Um, and I think that that's one of the challenges that the media faces. And uh, I guess because one of the things that may have made it even more difficult for journalists in Malaysia is that, you know, access to information or to people in power that can actually explain things isn't, uh, like they're just not as accessible as, you know, is needed for journalists to actually make a reasonable, like, conclusion or to understand things better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and of course, there are people who are just scared of asking questions if they don't understand. Because that would show that they don't understand. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. 
But there haven't been many cases of like in the US where Donald Trump basically tell, I mean, basically trying shuts reporter oh. out of press briefings. That hasn't really happened in your experience. No, not here. Uh, here, actually, I think, especially for business reporting, like with CEOs uh, or, you know, business leaders, they, I mean, some are very guarded, but some are also like, okay, what, what kind of questions do you want to ask? And because it takes so much work to sort of study a company or study like the landscape, the business landscape or the economy, um, journalists can either like, uh, I've seen a lot of journalists come unprepared mm. um, and, and, just not have like strong enough questions to ask where they will really get uh, what like the journalists themselves don't have a good grasp of the the business they don't yep. ask questions about to the ceo because they don't understand or because they don't want to look bad in front of other journalists mm. um and then and then the story comes off as just being very like surface level yeah they're afraid of looking stupid lah like most yeah, of us. I think, yes. <laughs> but with COVID in particular, it was tough because nobody, the information was changing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things I've also realized is that so many pe- members of the public, like on social media, have attacked the media <laughs> for, for not doing a good enough job of like telling them, you know, what they should do. But the thing is, we don't really know what's going We're just telling you everything that we're hearing from experts. And, mm. you know, we, we, don't have the authority. I think what people don't understand about journalists is that we can't just write something based on our opinion or based on like a collective opinion or the member of the public. We have to sort of make sure that experts can be quoted. Mm. And and even if we don't agree with what the experts say, like that's their voice. So, yeah. That kind of segues uh, very well um, to something we want to talk about or I want to talk about, which is this week, a lot of crazy things have been happening. I don't know why. It's maybe the lockdown has uh, restrictions have been reduced. Yeah. So people feel free or something. People feel free. So like, I, but I don't know why that would boom on social media. But I don't know. But just a lot of things were happening um, this past week, um, and a lot of them. I think the broader broader question or issue is cancel culture and whether we are still having good conversations. So, for example, one incident happened was J.K. Rowling talking about transgenderism. Well, she didn't really talk about transgen- transgenderism. What she did was, I think there was an article that she retweeted or something and they said persons with... Uh, who, persons, persons who menstruate. Persons who menstruate, menstruate. Then she was like, oh, I remember that when there was like a, a term for that. What was it? Woobert? Woolert? <laughs> then she's trying to say, we used to say woman who menstruated, right? And she got a massive backlash from that. And people were like, calling her out, calling her transphobic, uh, calling her out for um, putting transgender, the transgender community at risk and all these things. And she released a response. So that's one. Uh, what else do we have? We also have... Um, uh, Haikal Idris we discussed last... Yeah, uh, we, we spoke about Haikal Idris last week and also by extension, Umake Umupagan. Mm. Um, but that... that that episode is gone. <laughs> so I think we can re-ventilate it. You can look forward to it another week. <laughs> yeah. So like Haikal Idris, um, he has this uh, inappropriate, uh, he's basically been accused of rape by one girl and sexual assault by another girl. Um, and so again, Twitter goes crazy. And it's ironic because Haikal Idris is someone who's so-called on the left. He's this liberal dude, uh, comedian, uh, good-looking chap. And so these allegations come about and so then people attack him. I'm, I think we are not saying that he's the victim. That's not what we're saying at all. But we're saying that um, 
because he also responds to these girls and he has his side as well. So it's it's another complicated uh, situation. Um, we can we can we can broadly talk about this generally as cancel culture, but I guess now that you're you're mentioning this, you know, J.K. Rowling is being called up for beliefs, mm. and Uma and Haika are being called up for supposed actions. That's a good distinction. Right? Yeah, that's so a good distinction. That's, that's something we can get into. Lim Kogwing. Lim Kogwing. <laughs> 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 his fantastic posters in his college. <laughs> that picture of him with all the black people around, mm. and and him with the leopard. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and the no. whole king of Africa. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know we're not. We're Who not, thought that was a good idea? <laughs> Nobody is oh. going to justify Lim Kok Wing's uh, conduct, but it's just. Do you guys have examples of things that you have seen that you, you know you, you saw like a lot of cancel culture or uh, a really woke response? Or I think the one uh, that stood out for me was Samantha Katie James. Oh yeah, yeah. mostly because she shares my name. So. <laughs> <laughs> you woke but, up in the morning like triggered. <laughs> what the heck? Today is the day. Today the day Samantha's getting called out. <laughs> I think back yeah. what you did. <laughs> I think like there wasn't only like a lot of people who were. Uh, I mean, uh, definitely a lot of people like commented on it, but a lot of it was very sort of like it. It insulted her as a person, mm. um, and there were also people who called out that insulting her as a person versus like can we just focus on the fact that she said something that may have signaled that, okay, her, like, like... She's ignorant. Yeah. She's basically ignorant. But also that uh, these are, like, her views and we don't have to attack everything about her, like, you know, yeah. her, the pair, like, her birth and we don't have to attack, like, her IQ and, and, like, her face or, like, her body and things like that because yeah. people were insulting those things or, like, attacking her for, like, everything else. Yeah. I doc- what, the Dr. Jason Leong, the comedian... Oh yeah, it, it was. What did he say? I mean, he basically that, that's that's the way he 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 said he saw something stupid, and so he just insults her, right? You know, and I understand you want to. It's a sort of peer pressure, a sort of a social unacceptance. So you want to destroy that person, so these sort of persons don't exist anymore, I suppose. Mm. But they're always going to be there. Um, and you might call me naive, but I feel like even though it's difficult. Talking about the issue rather than the person would go a long way. There's a guy called uh, Daryl Davis. Have you heard of, of him? No. He's an African-American dude in America. Uh, he's a jazz musician, but he's really well known for converting KKK members. And he, you can watch, he has so, he does, he's done his like TED talk. You can listen to him on Joe Rogan. He talks for three hours. And he's converted maybe like 100 to 200 KKK members. And his way is simple. He meets them. He becomes friends with them. And over a course of months, maybe years, eventually they see him as a human because he sees them as a human. Uh, and they realize that this is a person, not just a concept. And they give their cloaks to him. Their, their white hoodies, those the robes, the robes yeah. and everything. And they give it over to him. Yes. And so he has this wonderful, he, he has a wonderful uh, uh, story. Lah. And he talks, he's just, he just simply talks about looking at people as human beings, you know, and not just reducing them to thoughts. Lah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeremy, what about you? Any, anything? No, I mean, the, I mean, the, another one to add to the list is the Grab Udaya one. Lah. What happened? So, that one was the fact that uh, Grab Udaya's staff had uh, created an, I believe it was an online event talking about Malaysian apartheid. Mm. The speaker had supposedly controversial views on Black Lives Matter was supposedly someone who was pro-Malay, talked about All Lives Matter. Mm. And so, uh, there was a social media campaign 
to get the, the event cancelled. The event was cancelled. And then that escalated further because the speaker was not happy that he got cancelled. So, I mean, the event got cancelled. So he wrote to the owner of the bookstore. The owner of the bookstore responded very apologetically. And now, because that email has been made public, people are asking for Grab Budaya to get cancelled. <laughs> mm. Yeah, to basically like boycott or you know, no longer support Grab Budaya and all that. Yeah. And that's crazy because Grab Budaya is an independent store. Yeah. There's very few of these kind of independent bookstores. Independent yeah. bookstores that release good content. They aren't the first uh it's and it's unfortunate, but they aren't Grab Budaya is not the first bookstore to get cancelled. Uh Lit, as, is it? And yes, another bookstore, Lit Books, was also sort of under fire for one of the speakers they invited. Umala? Yeah. <laughs> Let's call it out. I'm waiting for Uma to come on this podcast. Uma, come. Let's have a talk, man. Let's have a chat. I want to hear your side. You know why? Because he's doing he's podcasting now. Yes, I've heard. I've not heard the podcast. But. Yeah, so I was... Literally, I was telling Jeremy about this just now. I was in bed today. I think I've been talking about Uma a bit too much or something. Google's picking it out on your phone. Google's points. picking up my my... Because I've been talking to Jeremy a lot, my Google... My recommended stuff has been psycho. It's been super random. But anyway... I woke up and then, you know, they have the sponsored uh, advertisements by yeah. Instagram. I heard his voice. I was like, no way. Is that Umar Then I opened it. It's something called Goggle, Goggle something. And it's him, Ian McNally and Bahin Yusuf, who are the three guys who used to do the movie book reviews. No, not book club. Movie reviews at uh, BFM. Yeah. So they have their own thing going on now. So like, it looks like he's making a comeback. He's trying to make a comeback. And he also is suing BFM. For unlawful dismissal. Mm, that's still ongoing. That's ongoing. That's ongoing. Uh, but it should be over soon. Because I remember they were already in court in January. Oh, okay. So it should be over soon. So I'm curious to see what the outcome is. But yeah, so what happened with Lit Books is, I think they what they called him for to be a part of a panel? Or? No, he was a moderator. Yeah, yeah. He was supposed he, to moderate. He wasn't a speaker. So yeah, it took a lot. I think it would take quite a bit of digging to actually see that he was involved in the event. Yeah. yeah. And again, um, I understand... Uh, Uma has done, I guess, allegedly some bad stuff. And so you don't want to give him the platform. Um, that's fair. Uh, but why do we need to shut down uh, lit books? They, just because they made one bad choice, maybe, or an a unwise decision. Uh, and again, it's a complicated issue. It's not something simple. Um, am I wrong here? Uh, that's going to be hard to answer. <laughs> Because, yeah, there's the idea that people are guilty by association, right? And there's yeah. a lot of talk about giving these people platforms, right? The accusation is that Litbook gave uh, someone who, you know, society considers maybe a bit strong to say immoral. They don't say that. But, like, maybe treat him as, like, an outsider. Litbooks gave him a platform. And therefore, Litbooks should do their best to dissociate from him. So, like, I think that's the basic sort of outline. Um, you see, this is where it gets complicated and Sam, maybe you can chip in when you when you hear this, but when we de-platform people, especially people who don't have the same... Okay, there's a distinction again about people who have done things and people who hold beliefs, right? Yeah. But let's say we de-platform J.K. Rowling, for example, because of the things that she said about transgenderism. If you read J.K. Rowling's response, it's actually a nuanced... Uh, did you read it? Yes, I did. <laughs> so, like, I, I read it and... and it is actually well thought out. Uh, it's nuanced. Um, she has a lot of valid points in there. Um, but if we if we uh, cancel her and we don't have these conversations that 
need to be had. Like her points about it, right? It's pretty legit. She said uh, one of her concerns, uh, because she considers herself a feminist and she feels that um, women are being left out of the conversation when we focus too much on too much on transgenderism. Okay, you might argue that, but never mind. Then she says with transgenderism, for example, uh, a lot about the research seems to say that eighty percent of people who have that dysphoria, um, they maybe you want to explain a bit what do you mean by dysphoria. So okay, for example, if I'm a boy who feels like a girl when I'm young, eighty um, percent of persons like me who feel this way when they are a teenager post as they're transitioning through a teenage, their teenage years to adulthood, they will align back with their, their gender related to their biological sex. Does, do you guys get what I'm saying? Okay. So it's usually uh, only a minority, maybe a 20%. And I'm not saying this is not a valid group. They are a legitimate group. But 20% are, are really the, the, the ones who are really experiencing that mismatch of their gender and biological sex. But 80%, it's just a phase. And it's so controversial to say that. But that's what the research says. And what she says is, we live in a community, this is what she says, uh, we live in a community where, for example, there's homophobia. How much do you, how do, how much do you, sorry, how do I say this? Uh, it's not far-fetched to think that because you live in a community with homophobia, you transition to avoid that. Some of, uh, uh, she says like, for example, with women, with ladies, you grew up in a hostile environment. How many people ladies transition to avoid that envi environment. Now, you might disagree completely, but isn't that a conversation worth having? But then, for example, I'll give you an example of uh, a post uh, someone said about this response regarding J.K. Rowling. Um, Most everything that can be said about J.K. Rowling has already been said, and by people more eloquent than myself. I can't help myself after reading her opinion that autistic trans men are just girls who have been abused and tricked into being trans. Just suck my entire effing ass. I can't believe I used to admire you. Transitioning saves lives, saved my life, gave me a sense of identity. That was the thing that finally helped me leave an abusive situation. I'm so livid. I can feel it seeding from my paws. How effing dare she use her platform to try and destroy marginalized people. That's not what she was doing, though. She was having a conversation. And it's a conversation that upset you, but it's still a legitimate conversation. So, like, my thing is, like, when we start choosing people to... To, to basically um, just destroy. <laughs> destroy. Are we stifling opposing opinions that might be good for us? I think it is easier to character assassinate than to engage. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think there is a strong tendency, especially in social media, where I think there is like a sort of... People have seen it done successfully to some extent. People do feel that these people have been deplatformed and therefore they could keep doing it again. The morality of it is difficult to square because... If the outcome is to have a bet a society with better understanding, yeah, then maybe you could you could think about it as rather than shut them down, engage with them. Yeah. I think one of the sort of characteristics of social media is that it's so instant and so easy for people to just respond immediately and with feeling. Mm. Uh, rather than to take time and think about like, oh, this is why I'm upset, but how is the other pe person feeling? Uh, and, and so often people are just like, oh no, I'm angry. This is what I'm feeling. Uh, this is why I, I'm angry. And, and then they just like come up with, you know, like yeah. it, it's so easy to come up with so many words. And then it's also so easy for people to screenshot that or copy that and share that. And then that becomes sort of like the default voice for people who feel angry. Yeah. When people may have either like, you know, one, one thing is that 
uh, it benefits people who have not thought about that and they can see that point of view. But people are also so quick to like just adopt whatever view seems popular yeah. out there just to, to... To feel like they're in a group. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you know, like it's it's it could be a very there could have been very subtle differences in what they actually believe and what that post, you know, is saying. But they feel like okay, I'm kind of aligned with this person, yeah. so I'm just gonna start sharing. And and it just like builds this whole like a uh, train of like, I think, sharing or it's consuming. like an echo chamber basically. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. groupthink also involved in this, where you you you're gonna die by your sword to defend. Okay, me well, and Jack- no, on social media they will, but that's not actually dying on the sword. <laughs> They're not going to actually put their lives on the line. <laughs> I think there is a distinction yeah. to be made because yeah. social media, like Samantha said, is easy, yeah. right? It's no, but sometimes like it, it seems like I mean me and Jeremy have this this discussion a lot and we have a, I think reached an impasse in the way we, we view it. Like for me, I feel however good the movement, it's good to challenge the movement. And I don't think that if I think that in every movement there are going to be people who hijack it. And I think it's good to call out the hijackers. I think in every movement, there are going to be weak points. It's good that we call out the weak points because then we can like fix it and improve. But Jeremy is like more, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, if the movement is so weak and fragile, you know, we should defend it even despite its weaknesses. So let, let's not focus on the weak points. Let's rather focus on the things it's seeking to solve and fix. I mean, work, build on that, right? Yeah, so that one, I'll go... I'll try and I'll try and do this as quickly as possible. So this is in the example of ContraPoints, a transgender YouTuber who to, who happened to have brought on uh, a longtime trans activist who had problematic views. So he did a 10 second uh, sort of a 10 second voiceover for her for a video. Um, I believe about pronouns. I can't remember which video it is, but if you Google the controversy, it'll show up on Reddit or something. Um, so she was basically being cancelled for bringing on someone who had problematic views to do a 10-second voiceover. So she was technically guilty by association and he, would, he was just you know, cancelled from the trans community because of these problematic views. So the question is, how far do you want, how many layers down do you want to go, right? Does, does this, do you consider this giving him a platform? He spoke for 10 seconds not even his own words, he was doing a voiceover of somebody else's speech or words. Mm. So, in that situation, with the trans community and the trans sort of left community being so small and fragile, do you really want to take down uh, an established voice? And ContraPoints was doing a lot of good work. I don't think you agree with this, but, you know, she was converting Jordan Peterson fans to the left. <laughs> right? So we can have this long discussion. <laughs> you... So we we can this a separate episode between me and Roshan. Do you do you listen to Jordan Peterson? I have heard his stuff, but I'm, yeah, I've not followed it. I'm I'm a big I, Jordan Peterson fan. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I've not agreed with all of his yeah. points, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. you can be on that podcast too. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't agree with him yeah. because they don't they they again. I think it's a lot of group think he's labeled as a certain thing when he's not. Okay. You know, there's okay, a lot of mislabeling yeah. with Jordan. Okay, we'll yeah. roll back to contrapoints a bit because she's yeah. also <laughs> on top of the Jordan Peterson thing. Also helped incel men, people oh, who, who live yeah. on incel forums, come out of it. You know, Jordan Peterson has also helped a lot of incel men. That, by the that's, way. that's a matter of perspective. We'll get into that <laughs> different podcast. But, uh, so, people were saying she's a really good voice. On the Do you know what, who incel men are? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. For those who yes. don't know, they're basically involuntarily celibate. Yeah. They are men who uh, feel well, a bit defranchised and partly because they can't get girls to have sex with them. Yeah. They expect it. 
But I think it's actually a broader issue of yeah, them yeah. just being defranchised. There, with there is a 10-minute discussion worth having yeah. about how we got to this situation and yeah. a bit more detail on their psychology. Yeah, but your point is that this person who's doing a lot of good, yeah. and this is a big problem with the left. Um, and I maybe for, how do we define the left? So yeah, let's let's just use left as in the liberals and socialists for now. I'll I'll let you know when I want to make the distinction. <laughs> I think when yes, Sam, do you wanna? No, no. But I think the left to me feels like it used to be such like a small like you know group, and and now everyone wants to be associated with the left. Yeah, because I think the 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 lib- liberals in the United States have had this like track record of sort of absorbing radical elements mm. and sort of like. Uh, what you call it, neutralizing them. Like MLK, even to some extent, Malcolm X has been absorbed and neutralized. Uh, That's what I find, I mean, detracting just a little bit here, but I find as we've progressed, as time goes by, we seem to be taking smaller words and lumping it into a big word. Uh, Like for example, when we talk about racism, I feel like we've lost the distinction between racism, classism, um, uh, you, stereotyping what, what you would call racialism like racialism no, but all these things are separate and I feel like when you lump it all as racism you lose a lot of nuance because and you you get you misrepresent a person because one person can be stereotyping but not be racist and my definition of racist meaning a sort of a racial superiority right a or classical hosti- racist, or hostility or hostility yeah, okay. you could stereotype negatively or positively and not yeah. be a racist. You know, you could... Do you disagree, Sam? No, I think it makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think I actually hadn't thought about it. But now when I think about like the comments that people have sort of posted, a lot of people are being called out as being racist when really it's just a stereotype that they could easily be persuaded to think like, okay, not all Chinese are yeah. you know, wealthy. Definitely exactly. not. You know, not all Malays are lazy. Definitely not. But like, if people say that they shouldn't just be be cancelled for being racist, I think is is sort of... Yeah, Maybe... It, I, I would say that if you're being hostile and there's a superiority superiority thing going on, yeah, maybe we can de-platform this person. But I still think that I would want to like talk... Because this person is just going to find people of the same uh, thought process and they're going to lump and they'll create their own echo chamber, especially with social media now. So I still would want to engage them. But like, for example, again, I was reading this over the week. There's the master chef in Australia. I think there's this. Uh, she's Australian, but she's Chinese, and I think she had she didn't make the finals, or whatever. She got, you know, she lost. Then she went on a radio show for an interview. I think it was an on call, and then the guy was like Nihauma, <laughs> and mm. and his co-host is Chinese, and he was like Nihauma, and then she's like ended the call after that, and she Ooh. called out the guy and said it's racism. I was uncomfortable. Blah 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 blah, and then I'm like okay. That guy didn't have tact. That guy um, could have got the Chinese co-host <laughs> to say it. Also. Yeah, that guy, <laughs> but even then, so it would have been racist because her point is like, even though I talk about Chinese culture, uh, even though uh, I cook Oriental food, uh, but for you to assume that I speak Mandarin or Cantonese, you know, is racist, right? And I'm like, I think we've lost the distinctions. I think what you're talking about is you were unfairly stereotyped, you know. And I think we need to know the differences. Yeah, then it's worthwhile for like some people's definition of racism mm. is when it actually involves power. When yeah. it when the opposing party has the capacity to oppress you. Yeah. Or so this is where it threads into. So let's 
I mean, in terms of that oppressing party, if it was like the state or large institutions, that's fine. So where it gets a bit grey is a bookshop, right? Yeah. Arguably, a bookshop has certain power because it has a platform. That's where it gets a bit grey, I think. <laughs> and then we, we go into I the long debate coming, about Coming it. back to Garab Budaya and Lit Books, my personal opinion, I don't know about you guys, I would want bookstores like this to be to engage people with different narratives, even people with unpleasant thought processes, and engage them. Bring a racist to your bookstore. Talk to them. What's wrong? You know, like, you know, engage them. You don't have to. Just because you engage someone doesn't mean you agree with them. Maybe Umar being in a position of moderating was a bit questionable. Fair enough. But why not bring him on a platform? Because if you want to fix the so-called toxic masculinity problem, shouldn't you be talking to these men and figuring out how they got to the position where they are? Right? Uh, unless, the, then the only other alternative is you're going to talk to good guys who have, don't, can, can't even comprehend. Like, I can't comprehend Louis C.K. Uh, getting these comedian girls to come up to his room and then him asking, can I masturbate in front of you? No normal guy does that. I've not met a guy who does that. You know? Um, and all these weird, like, uh, what the, remember the, Anthony Weiner. Uh, oh, the, the, the sex thing. The yeah. American dude. Do you remember him? No. He was an American senator, I think. No, he was an attorney, attorney general or something. Yeah, no, someone... no, no. He was a senator. He was on the house, I remember. Really? Yes. Damn. This guy was, and he was up and coming. Uh, he was really uh, articulate, very fiery. So, and he was a Democrat, I think. And um, he was doing really well. People like were looking at him like, you know, presidential. And he just would randomly send pictures of his genitalia to girls. Like random <laughs> girls. <laughs> random. He doesn't even know them. And he had one picture that was crazy. It was a picture of him. in His daughter is sleeping next to him. And I didn't see that one. Yes. Either. And he's like, no, the normal guy can't comprehend this. Right? So, but we need to have this. We need, we need to talk to him. And find out, does he have a mental condition? Was he exposed to like too much of pornography from like, from a young, like, was he five years old when he started watching porn that kind of messed up his sexual mature, uh, sexual development? We need to find out. Yeah. So I think, like, I mean, you mentioned that we need to talk to these people. I'm not sure if, like, a public platform is always the best way to talk to these people. So one of the sort of things that I've been thinking about uh, but didn't know where to bring in in this discussion <laughs> is... Just bring is, it in any time. Don't okay. worry. It's sort of... Um, so, so I've... Um, Disclosure, I've actually been, I guess, a victim of sure. sexual assault. Uh, and I know other girls who have. So the responses have varied. And and I'll just share what I... And I thought I was the only one who might be doing this. I thought I might be wrong. But I saw another um, person post on Twitter, a girl, about how I think she she didn't feel the need to, to call out and, you know, cancel, quote-unquote, um, the person who she felt wronged her. Um, and I felt the same way uh, also because just because this person did something to me, I felt like, okay, this has to be addressed. I'll talk to this person about it. I can't guarantee that they'll listen or that they'll even care. But uh, I don't think that it's right for me to... I mean, yes, I'm worried that this person could be doing it to other people. And I did express my concerns, um, not just to one person, but to a few different people. Um, but I don't feel the need to like go out and you know destroy the person's career or... Or things like that, and I mean, it maybe would be difficult to 
to justify, especially with a public personality, how you can continue giving someone a voice if they've done things that are unacceptable. Mm. But we can continue to hold them like accountable for those things without saying that everything else they're doing is bad or tainted by this one act or these acts. Um, do you think your conversation with that, that person that you mentioned, do you think it had a, uh, a good result? I would like to think so. I mean, I'm still on talking terms with this person. Mm -hmm. So I would like to think that they're not like super offended. They don't find me a threat. But at the same time, I, I, I'm not sure how much it's actually impacted their actions anywhere else. Yeah. I'm totally, and I think Jeremy would agree with me. As guys, we are totally for girls calling guys out for yep. inappropriate behavior. Because I think if not, like, especially if they're a predator, Given there are some times where it's just like miscommunication or just ignorance, but especially if they are predator, you'd want people to know. Like, I mean, even like uh, Dashni Sukumaran, for example, she talks about yeah. that uh, the doctor. Yeah. I'm um, not sure. Again, all of it is alleged. So I don't know who's right, who's wrong. But if she's right, then I'm glad that she brought it out and other people are speaking out because at least people know about it and it stops that, that behavior. But I think where it goes too far is where we automatically judge the person. Yeah. The pronouncement of him, the pronouncer of this or that person being guilty before any legal process seems to go a bit far. You're just partaking in online sort of like labeling. Of course, we could argue that it is helping other girls not, you know, get sort of sexually assaulted or whatever. But that effect is limited, right? Mm. You are not actually necessarily helping the process between the victim and the the, the accused. So, like I mean, are you just piling on because you feel like it helps? Because I don't know if it does. Yeah, like some people say that, I mean, I know guys, well, these really woke kind of guys, maybe you call them liberal guys who say, you always believe the, the, the woman. I think that's a bit too far. Lah. Because like, honestly, I get what they're saying. They're saying these girls are not in a position of power, mm. that they are minority, and the system is stacked against them. So we need to give them that extra support. I think that's still too far because honestly, like every movement, they're always going to be detract detractors. They're always going to be, be people who hijack it. Then what about the argument? You being girl, I mean, what about the argument that, you know, yeah, I guess there are people who are maybe not afraid to look wrong. So like if we support, if we support uh, 10, 10 accusers, one of them turns out to be lying, we still technically supported nine out of, like there are those kind of arguments that can be made that, you know, it does more good than harm to just straight away do this. Um, but I don't know. I think there can be a line that you can just retreat a little bit. We express solidarity. We're happy you spoke out. Yeah. But there's no need to go around pronouncing people guilty just and, yet. And right? if other people don't jump on the bandwagon, it doesn't mean ipso facto that they don't support. Yeah. I mean, that's a big problem with like BLM. I mean, it's not a problem with BLM, but that's a bit of the rhetoric. Like I was telling you guys, I was talking to you about a post I had, uh, put on Facebook where I did like, I just reshared something and there was like three circles, you know. Quadrants, so, is it? No. Um, oh, yeah. yeah it's like a Venn diagram. Yeah. <laughs> so, basically, it's um, one, I say, uh, I don't, uh, I think what happened to George Floyd was horrible. One, I support good police officers. And the third one is, uh, I don't condone uh, rioting and looting. And there's an intersection and I'm in the middle of that because I believe all three things at once. And then, like, uh, I got a bit of a, a comment, like feedback and basically saying that, I was uh, being in the middle, trying to be a nice guy, and then I was staying in the middle and then hijacking the benefits. And it just, again, this feeds to 
the broader problem with all of these causes where we are when you attach to yourself to a movement, you support it a hundred percent, and anybody who says something even a little bit to the points out a flaw or doesn't say something, they immediately become your opposing uh, enemy, and that's how they frame it. It's either you're for us or you're against us. But I can be two things at the same time, right? And I think uh, so. When when I think when I mean when you mentioned those three parts and and how like uh, one of the things was uh, I support good police officers. So I think I saw a post by someone on Instagram that actually called people out for supporting the idea of good police officers because the police system itself is is corrupt. Uh, and and again, I thought, okay, that that's maybe going a bit too far because maybe we can say the current system has its flaws, but what are the flaws and yeah. and what's wrong with it? And then that also made me think of another uh, sort of report I read on an a website by two economists mm. that sort of looks at research papers, and there have there has been a lot of research about um, the justice system and how the police force works and all. But the thing is, I think these economists actually took the time to go and look for these articles maybe or, or you know like took a, a while to go and search for it and then they posted it maybe one or two days or maybe even a week into Black Lives Matter and in their earlier post you could see people commenting like why didn't you post anything on like the riots this is the most pressing issue of the day like hmm. but the thing is that academic research doesn't work that way it takes time and even like looking for resources online takes time Yeah. so it's just so easy to automatically get mad and then like not look at these resources or not look at these people who are, um, you know, who have something to contribute as like valid just because they didn't respond on time or they didn't do something <laughs> that you agreed with. Yeah. Yeah. Have you have you heard about chess? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long discussion. It's not a long discussion. We're just going to point out that it's really funny. Okay, we'll do this next week. No, <laughs> we'll about it more next I think week. it's really funny. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Chess stands for Capital, Capital Hill Autonomous Zone. It's basically in Seattle. It just happened these past few days. Okay. What happened was that they were protesting and then they were going to, there were threats that they were going to blow up one of the precincts. Um, okay. And so the mayor or the governor removes all the police officers. Then the protesters kind of barricade the area. So they've occupied this territory in Seattle now and they're calling it a free zone. <laughs> they are checking people who come in and out. And basically, all these rappers are going around with machine guns, uh, kind of like protecting okay, the area. Is there one rapper or multiple rappers? Well, there's one guy who's apparently the figurehead. Um, what's his name? Uh, Rez Simon. If you wanna, he's on Twitter. You can go Rez okay. Simon or whatever. You can you can check him out on Twitter. But um, I mean, I don't want to comment too much. I just think it's really funny because. It's such a typical like white guy frat boy named Chaz, but that's where yeah. <laughs> they decided with that name. But okay, fine. I guess they could have switched it up. And so, uh, the media in America is so funny because they are, they are, they. It's so biased. Like CNN, when they talk about the area, it's like a love fest. Like it's like all oh, like you know everyone is peaceful. They're just walking around, especially when the police left. And then like Fox is like basically. Uh, uh, this is the uh, end of the world. <laughs> basically, uh, Res uh, Simon is the new uh, monarch <laughs> that has taken over. And apparently, the police have been getting a lot of complaints about... Because there's a there's a power vacuum. Someone has to be the enforcer. Yep. So, this group has a reason. Uh, and so... And they don't really have... It's a social experiment. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Jeremy is pro... <laughs> pro this. I am pro-anarchist occupations. <laughs> we should have dual power when they take over these places. I just think it's going to be funny if this becomes an author authoritarian state. <laughs> and, you know, it's going to be so funny. Yeah. Cannot be afraid to fail. 
Sure. That's the way <laughs> yeah. I look at it. No, I, I welcome these kind of social experiments. I, I think, le- le- go for it. Because if it fails, then it's, you know, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the girls was saying that they have all these like open areas where they like watch movies. You know, like uh-huh. it's a commune, basically. Okay. They have like, you know, learning areas, creative centers or whatever, just setups yeah. around. And they had like a food area or something like that. And the homeless ransacked the food. And then she was like, we need support. We need people to like send food to us so that we can sustain ourselves. We are looking for vegan options. <laughs> I'm like, bro. I mean, at, at the very least, I would say this is better than posting on the internet. Oh, yeah. Because they actually, like, they actually have to deal with the fact that somebody wants vegan options. <laughs> you know, that is where your ideals hit the, your rubber hits the road. You know, you have to yeah. deal with the complexity of actually trying to find food. So, like, you know? my biggest problem with, like, the BLM, and I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't have the answers, but... I really struggled with the fact that it was very anecdotal and there was not much, like you said, not much data or research. Um, and so, I kind of am very cautious with, because like, with anecdotal stuff, it can go both ways. Even with Malaysia, for example, you see how anecdotal stuff can like, like Malay people just say that all Chinese people are, are controlling the economy. And that's because they feel that. They feel that way. Right? And so, I'm always more for data. But then Jeremy made a good point when we were talking before this. Do you want to like say your… Yeah, so it's a, it's a bit about how like uh, in America, the, the right-wing oligarchs have basically funded an entire like think tank complex to produce information exactly to counter these narratives so that they can push a wider agenda. Um, yeah. the, how much that's happening in Malaysia is questionable, but because the state controls large sections of the media… It could be also it could also play out that way in the sense that data could be produced either through the Department of Statistics or universities to fit a particular narrative. How much that control is I mean how much control they really have, I don't know, but I'd be open to think about the sources of the data, why they're producing it, and how they're producing it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of data out there that goes back and forth like goes, goes back and forth that says the opposite. But Jeremy had another point where you said that the very fact that people are going out there and putting their bodies on the line, that's a consensus. A census. That, sorry, that's a census by itself. And that's an interesting way to look at it. It's like live data. You know, every person out there is almost like you in a, on a form saying, you know, I feel this way. And that's an interesting way to, to look at it. Because you can't manufacture that, that yeah. sort of data. You I mean, can't well, skew. they can they can yeah. they can Photoshop people I mean, out or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you if you think about the Versailles process, you know, like some newspapers were saying like, oh, there's oh, only like you yeah, know like fifty thousand. Some were saying like there's a few hundred thousand. <laughs> I see. Yeah, and and then and then it all depends on sort of like the pictures that they choose to <laughs> to capture. Yeah, the yeah. I've seen those. That yeah, and I, I guess that's one of the things. Uh, we're, we're coming back to media again. That mm. like how, you know, think stories are portrayed. Yeah. Uh, and and photographers, you know, they can't be everywhere or capturing everything at once. Mm. Um, and it's so, so in like sort of to go into like when it comes to producing stories, um, which is one of the things I did at Al Jazeera was to sort of produce stories for the web, right? And we're always supposed to choose a picture that's relevant to the story. Um, and and a lot of it because I did like economic stories mostly. It's just like oh, let's just take a picture of an oil rig somewhere in like, <laughs> whatever country. Um, but or... yeah, but but sometimes we don't have pictures of of that specific oil rig in that specific country. Um, but that's not a, as big of an issue as like you know pictures about um, protests or war zones that sort of go viral. And and like I think 
there's a struggle when people are not media literate. Mm. And this is something mm. that I've heard talked about, but it doesn't seem to be a topic of interest these days. But I think it's really important that people know or understand how the media works. Mm. Um, not in a way that like, oh, you know, everything is a conspiracy theory. This is their owner. And, and like, the, there's, there's a lot of editorial like control. Actually, that's usually not the case. I think that, you know, you have like a lot of top-down like instructions. Yes, editors do try to improve stories of the journalists, but a lot of it is just... Um, how a specific media company works or how the workflow is adjusted. So that's that's something that I guess people need to be aware of also. We we hold journalists to a very high standard. Before you get there, because like, uh, you remember you mentioned someone who spoke... Kwa. Yeah, so let the, she she got a bit of flack for using a photo from 2018 or something. And Was it 2018? Yeah, yeah. So so oh. she so someone pointed out in the comments, I think she did an edit. So if you... I think if you go to the latest version, technically she did edit it. So she was talking about how like refugees were housed in these detention centers. Mm. But she used the photo from 2018, ah. right? Which yeah. which does show that I guess people are becoming more aware. And and just to just to say that photo was a very uh, powerful yeah. image. You know, it's yeah, basically I, all these refugees with a you know it caged up with the barbed wires and it was at a specific angle. So it looked like they were it was, packed in. La. It yeah. looked like they were shoulder to shoulder. I'm yeah. not saying that it's not true. It might be, because I know that detention centers in Malaysia. For a fact, some of them are psycho. They're horrible, but uh, yeah, that's. I mean, I guess maybe she couldn't. She couldn't get close enough to get a photo. But yeah. I guess if it's yeah, yeah. It, it's it's tough to navigate. Like. Again, even with her, a lot of people try to shut her down. Did they? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, not not the left, but this is from <laughs> the right. I guess you'd call them right, like conservative okay. persons who Malay, Indian, and Chinese who right. feel that Malaysia belongs to Malaysia. That I mean. Well, they're not all united on yeah. that point. <laughs> <laughs> it's sometimes a bit weird to see like in Malaysian Indians and Malaysian Chinese uh, call these people foreigners and they should go back to their own country. Yeah. It seems a bit weird. But I always like to give a bit of like a, some benefit to the doubt. I think they are vocalizing... Um, you know, it's tough times. Lah. You know, a lot of people are getting their salaries cut, being laid off. Uh, it seems like we don't have enough for ourselves and then we view, I think it's very human to view these foreigners as parasites that are coming and taking something that's not theirs and we stop lo- looking at them as human beings. La. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. So... I guess that sort of brings... Yeah, no. That going into the next topic. The, the, well, the next topic technically not. is Panjana. <laughs> 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 but I, I think we just, we still have time but we want to wrap up this whole thing about, you know, we spoke about late Garab <laughs> We spoke about Haikal Idris, Uma. We spoke about JK Rowling. Uh, and and this just this ability to have conversations. And I guess, I don't know, are we of uh, consensus that we should encourage conversations even with people? Uh, Jeremy, I don't know whether you agree with this, but should we have conversations with people even though we don't agree with them? Is it okay to give uh, people a platform and engage them even though they hold views that run contrary or, oppo- or, or oppose us? I think, yeah, giving them a platform is not the same as, I guess, debating them because it depends on like what you perceive the outcome to be. La. So like, I mean, if it was Jordan Peterson versus Zizek was more of like a media event. No one actually won. <laughs> Nothing <kind> happened. Of, <laughs> that, that, yeah. that was his worst conversation. Yeah, they just talked past each other. Yeah. So, But yeah. if you were to try and <laughs> I would Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris had one where it was like three hours long. But they didn't. They he didn't never need... went anywhere because yeah. they got. I think they got bogged down by what's the definition of uh, truth or oh, truth or beauty. 
and they couldn't get past that definition. Yeah, yeah. So they just had a three-hour conversation on like, what do you mean by truth? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. it was like, round and round and round. Sir Harris was like, I'm not having any of this. <laughs> yeah. I heard a summary of that conversation. I think the second one they did was a lot better. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to get back to the original point before Zizek. Uh, yeah, I mean, people should be given. A yeah, I mean, yeah, just have just have to think about it, like, Would you want to live in a world where these people are isolated mm. or have their ideas discredited? So this is clearly different from the Uma Haikal one because that one is they were they were quote unquote deplatformed, cancelled, or whatever because of their actions, right? But if the left alleged actions, actually, even that is a bit tricky. That is a bit tricky, but you know, let's, like, say, like let's say we believe the women on surface. Yeah. Let's just put that aside. But you know, on the matter of like beliefs, for, sorry, sorry, just just to give context, even for Haikal, it is again we are not supporting Uma, we're not supporting Haikal, we're not supporting anyone. We're saying that if people have done something wrong, they should be held accountable, hundred percent. Leave it to yeah. the legal process. Leave it to the legal process, um, or even okay, uh, put it out there. But don't pass judgment too quickly. I mean, get as much evidence and read into it properly. Because with Haikal, for example, with the girl who accused him of rape, his side of the story is basically... Um, he, he, his side of the story is that she had come back to his place and he had fallen asleep. And then the next day, she meets up with him, with her boyfriend, who she, he never knew she had a boyfriend. And then she says that she was shouting that he raped her. And he's like, my parents were at the bedroom next door. How could it you have been shouting, they would have definitely done something or said something. And then she asked him for 4,000 ringgit because apparently she's pregnant and she needs an abortion. And then he later does like a edit, a post edit and says like... Uh, no, 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 post edit. No, he, he puts like uh, brackets. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, now I realize that you cannot find out you're pregnant that fast. <laughs> like one day after, yeah. Yeah. right? Now, we, do, in, we don't know who's telling the truth. Um... And it's really complicated. But so there needs to be nuance, you know. And I yeah. guess that's why there's a legal process in the first place. Mm. So, I mean, how I would summarize this is these are alleged actions. Yeah. It's it's okay for... I mean, to some extent, if there's a loud enough voice, people are calling them out. Girls technically have an avenue to be warned, right? Yeah. Then, we'll, then we'll let the legal process sort of sort it out whether they're guilty or not. Yeah. But back to like ideologies, a belief. Again, I would caution liberals or socialists to really think about the world you want to live in, whether you prefer them to be isolated, where they still have avenues, or you want them to be discredited. And I'll add it, I'll add one step further. Do you want to live in a silo? Do you do you not want your ideas to be challenged? Okay, so this is the I'll just bring out a quick anecdote, then I'll stop. Because okay. <laughs> I don't know about time. No, we are okay with time, don't worry. Okay. Uh so Zizek talks about uh, progressive dogma. Right, So the idea is that you want to live in a society where he gave the example of rape. Where we don't need to continually have the discussion, is rape okay? You want to live in a society where this is a settled matter. It is dogma that rape is not okay. right? So there is, there is a category for some of these things that we, we as a society should settle. Like the matter of rape. Again, can be black and white because there, there's, there's spectrums on that. But I guess, you know, we need to move in that direction and I guess progressive fee, progressives feel like you know if we continually have to contest the space we'll just make no they'll just make no, no headway even, even yeah sorry okay, so just to add to that if we want to say have a society where this is rape or you know sexual harassment is considered wrong then to add to you know having things to go through the legal process then it's only right that we have to create laws 
to do that. And I think what most Malaysians, some Malaysians are starting to realize, but not a lot of people think about is that you have to engage your MPs yeah. um, if you want to create new laws. Mm. Uh, for example, like my Adun, where I stay, Kampung Tunku, uh, she was recently attacked that's, online. Um, that's oh. Anayos. Uh, no, no. No, no. Uh, Tony Pua. But this is the oh, Adun. Tony Pua is... Oh, no, but the Adun is the a girl, Adun right? The Adun is a girl. Lim uh, Yiwei. Yeah. Yeah. So she was recently... Yeah, that's Hannah Yeo's... Uh, uh, like a lieutenant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Prodigy? I, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I, wouldn't, I don't know. Okay, I'm not sure if they worked together before. Yeah, yeah I, I think they did. They did. She was in Tony Pua's office. But anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she was recently attacked on Facebook for a post about... Uh, uh, I think sort of this dog shelter in the area which residents have complained about and then but then the dog shelter said that her of people from her office were harassing the dog shelter and and you know like there were people who were saying like no we know the guy who works there who went to check it out he's an old man he couldn't have done anything mm. um but basically there was a whole like facebook war between um these people who were siding with the adun and people who were siding with with the shelter and the shelter was being very aggressive. The person, the person who ran the shelter was being very aggressive about it. But basically, the Adun uh, put up a statement mm. um, about uh, clarifying their position that uh, this is what th these are the checks we did. These are the uh, sort of reports we had, the information we had to collect. And then people started attacking her for everything else. And mm. so she actually, I think, um, started being more vocal about sexual harassment. Mm. Um, There's a bit more context to that, right? Didn't she receive like threats of like? Uh, threats of sexual assault. Was that it? Okay, like, I'm not sure about that. There was something that? like death threats. But that's or... always <laughs> even JK yeah. Rowling got the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean yeah. that but that but that goes into legal territory mm. because a threat to violence yeah, can yeah. be charged under law, am I right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, 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 so yeah that's yeah. where it threads into legal territory more than just rhetoric. No, but I think your point is that is that so she's been arguing for the fact that we need to pass a sexual harassment bill that mm. actually makes all of this punishable by law. Mm. So yeah. I'm not sure what exactly the current laws yeah. are around sexual harassment in Malaysia. And, and it's, like how it's, it's not... Uh, there's no it's workplace. There's, there's something that governs the workplace. No, it's right? actually tortious. Oh. So it's the same kind of law that governs um, negligence. Like when you hit another car and you get sued by the other person, it's tortious. Okay. It's your, you suing another person. So you can sue someone for sexual harassment, but there, there's no like act that governs it. Ah. So you're going under like, it's like common law. It's like case law. It's not a, a statute where there's a fixed, um, a fixed definition with a fixed. Um, uh, uh, so it's just degrees of transgression rather than a specific act that's being. Yeah. So there are basic like. principles that we would have adopted from the UK, for uh, example, that we 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 use, but um, they're not, I guess, as powerful as a statute because when it's passed by uh, uh, a parliament, parliament, the judge is bound. You know, he if you hit yeah. those elements in the statute, yeah. That's the that's a penalty that you have to to, to face, lah. Mm. Yeah. So I guess that's just what we need to keep in mind if we want to make sure that things are enforced based on you know whatever definition of rape or whatever definition of sexual harassment we want to agree on, yeah. or even when it comes to, you know, yeah. I, I guess it it depends on anything and and how much you feel like somebody is aggrieved and they should action should be taken. Then you should look at due processes to get, uh justice or relief for a person mm. because instead I think of cancelling them your, your point of like we rehashing the same thing over and over again but it's not the same though because I agree that there are different categories like. I, I think mean there's, there's a general gray. rule and then there's exceptions and like for example with us we all no one I think will say that sexual violence is good 
But the problem is the context, you know, the times have changed so much and the circumstances that are coming out are so different. Like for example, um, a lot of legal firms have this problem. There's one legal firm in particular. Uh, I don't know what I can say. Well, yeah, Better not then. to name. <laughs> it's a big firm, but it's a public thing because they... It, uh, um, showed up on the media? It showed up on the media. So what happened was, okay, the name of the firm is Lee Hishamuddin. <laughs> and anyway, it's one of the big firms in Malaysia. We're waiting to get cancelled. <laughs> no, but some of the partners basically separated from the firm. They opened up their own firm called uh, RDS, uh, Rosli Dalan Sarawana. And when they left, they wanted to dissolve. They put in an affidavit. And the affidavit, they listed out all these sexual allegations uh, about partners who were sleeping around, etc, etc. Now, it's complicated because uh, like for example, that this firm has a, I mean, okay, this, at this point, I want to say I don't know much about this firm but I know some firms have this culture where they are okay with internal dating and so you have partners dating pupils, chambies, that means they just out, got called to the bar. Mm. You have associates dating each other. You have some partners maybe even dating secretaries and uh, not dating. I think dating is a, a generous word. Uh, and somewhere they, they meet, they have affairs, they get married. It's a beautiful love story. But some cases, it doesn't turn out well, right? And it becomes assault. And it's very complicated because in most of these cases, not most, well, yeah, you could say that a lot of these cases is consensual. But then there's a further debate about power dynamics and a partner having power over his subordinates. Mm. And to be honest, you would even say, like for some of these partners, they say, but the girl's attracted to me. Well, yes, uh, a person, a mate, would be definitely interested in your stature, your position, the power you hold, your competence. But <laughs> because you're in a position of partnership and you, there's an argument to be made that you exercising your power, you're always in the wrong. But these are complicated scenarios that we have to. We have you, not dealt with as a society. You would say that there should not be a blanket rule. I'm it? saying that we've never had these discussions in the past. That okay. these stories are only coming out now. And so when we talk, yes, we all know sexual harassment is wrong. I mean, sexual violence is wrong. But now new and new kind of circumstances are coming out. And we need to have these new discussions about, like I said, when we were talking with Aaron, the, the standard used to be as long as you love each other, it's fine. Now the standard, and then it became, love is not enough, it has to be consensual. But now we are even talking about the dynamics of consent. You can have two people who are consensual, but what is their position in society? What's their platform? Yeah, I guess that sort of relates also to issues of like child grooming and exactly. people could bring up like, oh, was this person sort of, you know, led to be consensual? Mm. You could have an incest situation where two people are consensual, the father and the daughter. But that would be immoral still, you could argue, because the father is in a position to groom the daughter all the way to to become uh, whatever lah. Mm. Yeah, I've th I've thought about this a, a lot. <laughs> Teacher and student similar. It's a even though it can be consensual. The, consensual. Only, the only example I'm thinking about is the French president. You know who Macron? The, yeah, Macron married his like French teacher. Like the difference in age is huge. Really? Yeah. Older than him. Yeah. <laughs> this is like um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Simone de Boudoir and. Uh, no, no, that's not open, but like, this is, yeah, this is just different. No, she like. and, what's that other guy? Uh, John Paul Sartre. Yeah. yeah. So, they would, you know, they had a lot yes. of... <laughs> they were very open. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of them were, yeah, anyway, that's another thing for itself. So, wait, let's see my time. Okay. Now, I think good time to talk about Punjan. <laughs> uh, but maybe just to sum up... Um, because I think we've summed up. Sam, you got anything you have to add before? 
explosion? No. Okay. <laughs> and you can sum up your views. Yeah. Uh, so I think like my views, uh, we need to have conversations. We shouldn't be afraid of conversations. There needs to be some nuanced people. Don't just follow your group. Think about what you're following. Question everything. Question every single thing. I mean, don't mean to be preachy here. Uh, <laughs> feel free to challenge me on my own biases. No problem. Um, okay. Uh, Sam, since you're here, we wanted to get your thoughts about Panjana. You have some background in economics. You have been reporting about uh, financial, the financial situation in Malaysia the past few years. Uh, Punjana is the the stimulus package. The the latest stimulus package. Yeah, after what was it? Prihatin? Is that yeah, the first one? Prihatin I think yeah, Prihatin. I believe was, it was Prihatin. the big one. The big one, yeah. And then now we have Punjana. So have you read through the <laughs> do you have any So I've looked through What do you like, what do you not the, like? The points. Mm. Uh or do you have any concerns? What what do you like? What do you not like? Do you have any concerns? Anything? So I guess, I mean, as a journalist, like most of what we did or what we do when reporting on economic things is just call a few economists and ask them for their views. And then, because we're not technically allowed, supposed to be putting our own opinions uh, in these things, you know, just quote what they say. Um, and, and so I, I sort of like read up a bit about what's been said about Panjana. Uh, and so far, it seems that like economists think it's okay, but it seems that like whenever there's a stimulus package announced, they say like, oh, okay, it's good that the government is pumping money into these sectors and these will this will help the economy. So what most of, I think, of Punjana's um, focus has been is sort of trying to encourage the public to spend more, uh, whether it comes to like cars, property. Yeah. Uh, I think even with the e-wallet, like 50 ringgit <laughs> free to go out and spend wherever, like Tesco or whatever you want to spend on. Uh, that will disappear in like one afternoon in yeah. an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think the, the 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 hope or the idea is that it's still supposed to be stimulus. Like, oh, the government's mm, yeah. still promising money to everybody. Then I think there's also like a bit allocated, but it's not a lot, like 50 million for, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, B40. Mm. And then like some for like uh, the disabled. Mm. Um, so there there is like a little bit of allocation for people who are more disadvantaged. But it's not big and it, it's definitely not that big of a sum. It's not going to last us till end of the year. It might be yeah. a bit too short term. Uh, yeah, I, I think I have to give props to, I don't think Mohidin is the main person uh, <laughs> going around these policies. But I think maybe, more realistically, I think probably Tunku Zafrol has been the one who has been probably spearheading the the, the stimulus program and the plans and all that. It's hard to, to say. La. I mean, sometimes it's bureaucrats, but let's say they were the one who signed off and they have some responsibility. La. You want to give Zafro credit? I mean, because they prepared it in a relatively short period of time, I think they've made it pretty uh, uh, informative. I mean, the way they... They, they, they presented uh, it. Presented it. Uh, it. You may, might make an argument that's a bit too short term. Um... But I think also, like in these times, we don't know how long COVID is going to last. Mm. So we just need something short term to fill the gap before the economy reopens, which it is already doing slowly. But this, I, this runs a bit contrary to like the American style of how they do these kind of things. Because if it's about like, well, during the financial crisis, like the head of the treasury went to ask, we need a bazooka so that the market knows we have a bazooka, but we're not going to fire it. So it, yeah. like there, they, there was a the perception that it was about confidence that no, but, but with yeah, America, this is a different I mean the COVID is different now. and with America it's different just because they have the reserves and they can play with the money 
Oh, they're just going to print it. There's yes. no reserves. They're just printing yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> they can just print. So their dynamics are completely different yeah, from definitely. ours. And okay, just for me, what I like most was probably the public transport allocation. The 30 bucks, eh? I think now, you know, it used to be, even in uh, uh, Pakatan's time, they introduced 100 ringgit um, mm. payment and then you can use everything for one month. Yep. And now they've reduced it even more. To 30, yeah. 30, yeah. And I think that's really, really cheap. Mm. It's going to encourage a lot of people to use public transport. I don't know when we're dealing with something like COVID, whether that's <laughs> good. Yeah. But I, I'm all for people using public... Maybe this will encourage people to like use alternative transport. And I think that's good. Yeah, but then the question is also like, if it, I mean, how long is this 30 ringgit going to last? And then yeah. I think there are a lot of people who still prefer driving because it's safer. Yeah, mm. yeah. Wait, My like, note here is that, you know, this goes against health. all their health like warnings <laughs> yeah. and all that. <laughs> but I, I, my hope is that, okay, maybe this will encourage people to use public transport a little bit more because people are afraid, but now it's dirt cheap. It then 30 ringgit is dirt, <laughs> dirt cheap. So you're asking people to think like, okay, do I risk my life? <laughs> or is it because it's cheap? Like, people have to I, I make mean, that it, judgment. I guess right? it's just good to get people to, I think it's good to get people to use public transport. I think mm. the situation is kind of okay now that we can risk it a little bit. And we want people to start transitioning back to a normal normalcy, sure. right? And it'll be good for people to use public transport. Um, another thing, I think from, that's what I like. Uh, I only have that one point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Jeremy. I mean, no, yeah. My good is only like two points. <laughs> okay. What I don't like, or maybe what I'm concerned about is where the money is coming from. Because they're oh. obviously going to have to borrow it from somewhere. I don't think these are, <laughs> is their savings. And, I'm sure because there's a debt ceiling uh, where you can't pass the debt ceiling without going to parliament. I think it's like 5 5% or something like that. There's a ceiling. Uh, that Do you know about this, Amen? Okay. No, I don't know about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know this for sure. It's not 100% okay. sure. There's a ceiling. So your debt, or your borrowing has to be at a certain percentage. It mm. can't go. If you want to go beyond, I think 5.5 or something like that, you need parliament. Right. So I, I'm, I think it should be under control just because they hadn't, they didn't have to go to parliament. But I'm still quite worried that where the money is coming from because this is a lot of money. A lot of money. So, okay, with Panjana, I'm not sure about the total sum as like mentioned, but um, at least with Prihatin, people are saying that the amount of new money the government is pumping in is actually very, I think the total sum was like, what, 250 billion? Mm. The amount of new money being spent was just a fraction of that. It was like maybe less than 60 billion because a lot of it was coming from things like tax incentives or like they're just giving discounts on Mm. on certain things or trying to make certain... uh, provisions or incentives. So they're not borrowing, but rather they're increasing, no, they're, they're reducing their profit. Correct. They're reducing, reducing, their reducing revenue. Yep. Yeah. Revenue, sorry. Yeah. So, and and also, uh, one of the economic theories that I read about recently that I think a lot of people don't think about is that when in times of trouble, the government should be spending more and saving more in times of good. Uh, so it actually, it's okay if they take on a bigger deficit, which is why you don't see economists sort of panicking about the fact that our deficit is going up more than 3.5%. Um, when before this, like we were always concerned about reducing the deficit, reducing that. Mm. So I think that is not as big of a concern when it comes to funding the economy to get it stimulated again. Actually, if you want uh, justifications for a state, this is probably the best example of a time where a state is really justified. La, it's, not, it's not just that the state is justified. It's that everybody is doing it. 
So if every if the rating agencies are all downgrading everybody by one level, mm. you know, it doesn't like there's a bit of there's a bit of cover for you to do it. Mm. Right? It doesn't look as bad or irresponsible. So yeah. yeah, in the in the words of like a lot of these like financial presses, like it consumers don't I mean sorry, investors don't lose confidence, you know. Yeah. Jeremy, any good or bad that you want to highlight? I mean, I the one that I noted was the fact that they had an ongoing like B40 healthcare thing that they they continued to expand on. Like, uh, I tried to look it up. I think it had decent coverage. So that one was fine. But those were the only two. The oh, I think they continued the wage subsidy program as well. Yeah. Which was so that was one of the things that yeah. I noticed <laughs> as well. Um, but the... So initially, they had a wage subsidy. Yeah. I think the conditions were if you employ this person for more than six months, then you will be entitled to the wage subsidy. Mm. Whereas now, I think with uh, with Penjana, there's no sort of like official ruling. Mm. And there's a lot of like, oh, we encourage employers to do this, this, this. Mm. But nothing is going to convince employers to ah, do anything. So yeah. they are foreseeing some sacking. Yeah, and I think it's also really difficult because uh, as a commercial business, if your focus is not on profits, then you're just not going to be sustainable. And however much further down the road, you will eventually have to let go of everyone. And you, a lot of companies are just trying to stay afloat at this point. Yeah. Because they, they could take the money, still not have revenue come in, yeah. and still have to fire people down the road because you know the differential is too high. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even with legal firms, uh, their projections are that a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And uh, salaries are being cut. I have friends who have gotten like 50% cuts. 50%. Yeah. Oof. Times are tough, tough out there. Alright. So we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, spoken about a lot of different things. <laughs> Hopefully we don't get too much of a backlash. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> do you, I mean, do you have some more? Like, do you have more? Because I have a, like a whole list of things that I thought were like pointless. <laughs> Meaning? In the Panjana. In the oh, panjana so you think plan. there are a lot oh. of things that are not important? Yeah, not, not they're not important. They will be inconsequential. So oh. maybe you can jump on as I uh, list off some of them. I mean, the kind of things I, I highlighted were tourism. Yes. Which I would like to think works. Uh, there's, there's like provisions for creative industries, uh, tax rebates for like plantations and agriculture. Um, and I'm not sure if the point is like to appease people who are just lobbying for stuff <laughs> or whether it's like really going to make an impact on, yeah. on the economy and actually help you know, generate like income, help people get jobs, mm. things like that. I don't know. I was looking at like, it was 1 billion for tourism industry. And I tried to look up some stats. In 2019, they brought in 86 billion, which means the market cap must be, I mean, the, the capitalization of these companies must be double that. <laughs> 1 billion is a drop in the bucket compared to like, you know, the entire industry, which is worth hundreds of billions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a bit of that. And like, yeah, a lot of it is tax relief. Like you said, la, none of it's like really cash injections. And they aren't even tax rebates, meaning like there's a difference between it being deducted off your tax and it being deducted off your chargeable income. Mm. So people can Google this if they've ever had to pay income tax. Mm. So yeah, I, I don't know how much this really does. It's really questionable to me. Oh, so you're a bit pessimistic. I'm a bit pessimistic because it's, yeah, it's not a bazooka. Mm. Yeah. They, it's, it's, a it's rather conservative. Water pistol. Uh, that's generous also <laughs> that's generous <laughs> yeah that's wow. generous <laughs> Jeremy's fighting shots today guys <laughs> but yeah I mean maybe we can get a guest who's a bit more <laughs> Pinku Zaful if you want to come 
please, you're please not gonna get that. <laughs> I don't know. I think, but like, I think thinking about sort of like uh, state, you know, aid or whether it's a central bank that's like lowering interest rates. My question is like, how much, you know, we really want to continue depending on state aid um, to redistribute our income. I mean, in one sense, like taxes and everything is good, but is it really like distributing income? Because if you look at the US, and I mean. Um, when the US lowers its interest rates, everybody else just kind of has to follow because yeah. you know they, <laughs> they're they're the US yeah. um, and and they have the world's reserve currency. How is their country falling to pieces right now? I don't understand. <laughs> they have so much of they've they've exported their labor. You know, it's a it's a paradise there for uh, maybe it's for for the rich for the rich, for the rich. Uh, yeah. maybe, because the yeah. thing about lower interest rates or like flooding the market with liquidities, everybody assumes that you know, people at the bottom are going to benefit. But that's not true. Most of the people who already have money can yeah. just invest it in more things like buy more property, uh, things like that. And, and even with the government sort of, um, the in Panchana, the, the provisions for property ownership, that's only going to benefit people yeah. who can actually afford to buy properties. <laughs> once, at the you know, side, once I saw that, which is a very small percentage of the oh, once I saw that tax uh, being cut for cars, for example, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, all these rich fellows are gonna be like, time for that BMW. <laughs> I want. Yeah. And I think, I think, like even like people who, let's say, can't really afford it, might take on more debt. Debt, yeah. And that's not necessarily a good. thing. I thought about getting a new car. And I shouldn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hmm, it might be 6%. That's pretty good. Then I calculated it. Just a few thousand. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think it might be worth it. They tried to trick me into this. <laughs> I mean, but the, the, I think I can see where the thought process is. The thought process is if you're given enough incentives, you will buy things. Yeah. That should stimulate the economy. Yeah. But the drop, the drop in revenue is going to be so catastrophic. Yeah. There needs to be another solution. You know, It can't just be they're going to give you 50 bucks Hopefully, you go and spend it at Tesco and that should stimulate the economy, right? I mean, it is a tried and tested uh, method, I think. Like even um, Brim was actually a success. For a lot of people said it did, uh, it stimulated the economy. It, it created a robust economy. So, you know, economists were saying that. So, I always found the concept of Brim really bad. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like the idea of the government giving people money to spend. But it seemed to be good for the economy. So, I don't know. I think economists just like saying that the economy is growing because (laughs) they want people to feel good about things. And and yeah, like usually them saying like, okay, like, you know, this this is what's good uh, will generally make people think that things are okay. (laughs) (laughs) But that's that's an interesting thought because like uh, there was an American economist that said like the Financial Times has lasted this long because they know not to lie to the investor class. As soon as the investor class doesn't trust your paper, they're ditching it. Yeah, I mean, money is just trust, basically. No, but as a as a financial press, oh, they have I this see. as a principle because you know, as soon as the rich don't think you're credible, they're not uh. reading your paper, and that's why they can charge like a thousand bucks a year for you to read their paper. Oh, yeah. okay. Anyway, we've just reached one hour thirty minutes, and <laughs> we have made a promise here at Rumah Roy to stick to one hour thirty minutes. <laughs> we are not going to go no more one hour forty five minutes, <laughs> no more two hours, one hour thirty. So we've reached one hour thirty, but. I think we were having a very good discussion and then maybe Sammy, you can come up again uh, and we can talk further about everything. Yeah. Um, so we're going to end here but just before ending, we want to, uh, me and Jeremy in particular, want to say that we are just two guys trying to figure things out. Uh, I'm also trying to figure things Sam out. Is, <laughs> Sam is also trying to figure things out. Uh, I don't have out. a job still. <laughs> if, 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 maybe you want to plug your right. stuff, Sam? Uh, 
Oh, I, I don't really... Where can the people thing. find you? Plug. Uh, so I do Her have... A blog is serendipitous. <laughs> <laughs> so my blog has a really long name uh, that, that's, that's kind of difficult to find. Um, I'm trying to build a new website to, to sort of make it a bit more accessible. I even remember you jumping from Blogspot to WordPress, right? Yes. That's how... That's how wow. much I follow you. <laughs> okay. Um, but basically, I can be found, I guess, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's small chili buddy Satan. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, can you repeat that? <laughs> small chili buddy Satan. It's all one word. Yes. <laughs> um, There's a certain crowd that's not going to go there. I can't, I can't judge because my Instagram handle used to be Roja Gomez. So oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but but if if you don't want to type small chili buddy Satan into your Instagram, my blog is a surrendipitous incongruence. Oh, that's what <laughs> <laughs> just I'm type Samantha sure. Ho Malaysian author Al Jazeera yes okay Samantha Ho the edge markets looks fine too just type that into Google or Samantha Ho Al Jazeera and you'll be able to find my stuff or you can find me on LinkedIn Samantha Ho Al Jazeera you know just type those keywords yeah and if you have jobs Samantha is a great writer so please do engage her she's doing a lot of good work uh, again me and Jeremy and Samantha would like to say that we're figuring things out and if we've upset you uh, we it's not personal we're just trying to um, challenge each other and trying to figure things out. And that should be uncomfortable. Good discussions should be uncomfortable. All right. And we are done. Thank you. Sense it. Sense it.